Did you know that Easy Medical Device is not only a blog, a podcast, or a YouTube channel? It's also an agency that is providing you consulting, coaching, and training for medical devices. So if you have any projects, don't hesitate to contact me at info at easymedicaldevice.com. Info at easymedicaldevice.com. So talk to you later. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy Podcast. I am Munir Lazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I'll share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standard today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Lazuzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today we will help you to calculate your sample size. So there are a lot of places where we need to calculate a sample size. Uh, I had myself to do that within uh, when I created some PMCF uh, documents or some uh, working on some clinical, uh, clinical trials. So uh, I think it's really an important topic that people should understand. And we have, I have with me, so John Bersteinson, who is uh, a VP of Global Business Development at uh, SmartRail in Denmark. So welcome, John, to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Hi, Monir. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. So, John, uh, as I've said, you will try to help us to uh, calculate our sample size. I know it's not maybe something easy to do for some people. Uh, we will not talk. We will not. We will not make some equation or calculation today. So, no. <laughs> don't think it will be a boring thing where we will just uh, talk about some equations. Uh, but we'll more yeah. explain to you uh, what it is and how how we should do that. But before yeah. that, John, so can you make an introduction of yourself uh, so that we have a better understanding of what you? are doing? Of course. So my name is Jon Bergstenson and I'm the co-founder and VP of Global Business Development at SmartRail. My background is actually from biomedical engineering and informatics. And for the last 10 years, I've worked within clinical research and medical devices. And throughout the years, I've held different roles, everything from clinical data management expert uh, to a data entry and site staff member in large multi-site clinical trials. But in my current role, I'm mostly occupied with knowledge sharing and insights of clinical data collection with the medtech industry. So great. Uh, and you are located in? I'm located in Denmark, but originally from Iceland, okay. a small nation in the North Atlantic. So you start to go down and down and down. <laughs> yeah, going a little bit more south to get a little bit more sun. Exactly. Okay, so uh, thank you for that. So let's try now to um, help our audience to understand more what is about sample sizes. So sure. as I've said, we talk about sample size like we know already what it is, but can you make me make, make a small, small summary of what is a sample size and how we can determine that? Yeah, I think it's a good, uh, good to start off on the right side of the, the whole process. Basis. So what is, what is sample size? Well, um, one of the first practical steps in designing a clinical study or a clinical investigation or any other clinical activity is to determine the number of subjects or uh, patients to recruit. In most cases, uh, it's impossible to conduct a clinical study that includes a, the total population of interest, so the whole patient population of interest. Because usually when it comes to healthcare, it, populations like patients are indefinite. We always have new and new patients 
coming onto the uh, clinical healthcare systems and uh, the population for most diseases and and uh, yeah well applicable areas where medical devices come into the uh, treatment process are indefinite. So instead of conducting studies with the whole population, we co conduct studies with a sample from the population in the hope that the information that we gather on the sample that we're uh, studying will enable us to make conclusions or inferences about the total population. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that if you are starting to make some clinical trials on all the population, there would be maybe some people that will not be happy of that or will not want to do yeah. that. And I think <laughs> because it's no, like torturing torturing humans. <laughs> for exactly. And I think no company in the world, no, none of the big pharma will ever have enough money to ever conduct something like that. So, but I mean, in, in principle, there are, there are multiple ways of determining sample size, but the most common way to determine sample size is to apply statistical techniques and formulas that can allow you to calculate the appropriate size for your study. And this is what's called sample size calculation and sometimes estimation as well. And so it's, 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 it means that, yeah, um, we will select uh, a certain, so for example, let's talk about 1,000. If we have 1,000 population, 1,000 people in the population, we'll select a percentage of this, this population, and then we'll call that the sample size. And it's only on this percentage of the population that will execute those tests or this study. Yeah. And what we are hoping exactly. that uh, the result that we get on this sample size will be reproducible in all the population. It's not like just representing this group, but all the population that we are targeting. Yeah. So is it a good summary? So it's, yeah, it's according to statistical theory, this is the appropriate way to do it. If you would like to uh, at least try to get some kind of understanding of the whole population. Okay, so um, we talked about studies. So do you have some specific studies where we need to use that or where the law is requiring us to use that? So um, when it comes to like in general, um, you, always, you should always assume that requirements or most of the regulatory bodies uh, do require to calculate sample size in one or another way. But when it comes to um, any given study, you always have to start by asking yourself or ourselves, are we looking to learn something or are we looking to test something? Okay. And if we're looking to learn something, it's usually when we're doing a small pilot or feasibility or, or some kind of a very new activity that because we don't have any clues about how our devices work in, in clinical practice. If that's the case, you don't always have to calculate sample size. And it actually depends on the local legislations if it's required or not. But if you're looking to test something, like to test that your device is significant or equivalent to something, uh, usually done in a clinical investigation or PMCF activity of some kind, uh, you are more often have to uh, calculate sample size or determine sample size. Okay. So um, in terms of, uh, of the studies that we are doing actually with medical devices, I see the clinical investigation or clinical trials. I see also the PMCF that we have to do that. Um, do you see anything else where maybe that we need also that? So when it comes to PMCF, uh, 
many so the, the first of all the the definition of pmcf is is slightly loose still because we lack some experience within the area for now but there are also a lot of companies that are now focusing on um utilizing survey data for example for pmcf purposes and uh, we've gotten questions as a vendor uh, about the requirements for sample size when it comes to surveys and the usual answer is always yes you need to determine appropriate sample size no matter what kind of activity that you're, you're doing, whether it's a survey or clinical trial or something else, if you're going to use it for regulatory uh, approvals or submissions of some sort, you need to have an idea of what kind of sample, what kind of population you're dealing with. So it, it's it's really, I think, in what so let's say that this is really important in case you are claiming something to have a good backup for your claims to say that, yes, what I'm claiming is correct. We have some studies, we have some statistical results uh, for that. Um, in terms yeah. of uh, regulation, as you mentioned, so as we have the new MDR that will come into force, we hope, because there is uh, this... Um, this uh, this also this uh, publication that or this uh, proposal that was made now to mm -hmm. extend that for one year. So uh, it will maybe arrive in the 26th of May 2020 or uh, one year after the 26th of May 2021. Um, yeah. Is there a place where on the MR? I mean, does do we need or is there a place in the MDR where we say that we need to calculate a sample size? So yes. Well, in, in short, yes. The MDR actually covers um, well cl the clinical investigation plan in the annex, where it describes the need to document, for example, sample size as a party for clinical investigation plan. And uh, the same goes for a PMCF plan, uh, which is described in Annex 15, if I remember correctly, um, where you also have to document your decisions or methods and processes related to PMCF activity. They don't, uh, it doesn't specifically mention sample size, but I would with all, without any concern, um, well, state that you would most definitely have to determine or, or justify your sample size in the same way as it, when it comes to clinical investigation. And I think it's important to note that um, when it comes to clinical studies and sample size, there are mainly three factors at play here. There, it's the factor of cost. It's okay. a factor of evidence precision and compliance. And the compliance part is the reason why the MDR and the competent, many competent authorities and ethical committees already today require you to justify your sample size. And that's because if you select a sample size or determine a sample size that is too big uh, or too low, it will affect the cost of your study and the evidence precision. So for example, if, if your sample size is too low, it will actually uh, decrease your evidence precision. Uh, that is the likelihood of you being able to make an assumption on your evidence that can mirror the whole population will be decreased. Uh, and if you have a too large sample size, you will of course increase cost as well, but it will also raise ethical questions. Like why have you been testing on so many if you only had to test on hundreds of people, for example? Yeah, as we said, we are the ethical committees are also here to, uh, to question all this and to be mm -hmm. sure that we are treating patients correctly and having more patients mean, means that we are, we are, if I can say, as I'm using this word, but torturing more patients. Uh, which is maybe not something that uh, the ethical committee will accept. So you have really to have a good justification. Uh, good justification yeah. for that. 
And this, I mean, it's also really, it also relates to high-risk devices that are may, maybe thought to be beneficial for very ill patients. Then it's not so much about torturing them, but more about you decided only to treat 100, whereas you could have treated 200, for example. Uh, or, or you only decided to treat 100 and you decided to let 100 other people in the control group get sick and die. Yeah, uh, true. So these kind of ethical concerns are, are also up to up for question when it comes to the sample size. No, it's clear. Um, and this is, and I think that's why the MDR is so clear on it when it comes to clinical investigations. Like you have, this is one of the things that you just have to be able to justify. Yeah, and um, as as we say that the MDR requires that, so it means that notified bodies and authorities will will look for it on your studies, will look for it on your documentation. Um, is there yeah. what what are they exactly looking for? The, are they looking for the formula? Are they looking for what is exactly the, the hints or the things that our audience should understand that they should have on their documentation for, for satisfying so, the bodies? In my opinion, I, I, haven't, I have not been through a notified body audit within a medical device company, uh, and I don't believe I will, but they will be looking if you to comply with what is described in the MDR, of course. Uh, what's described in the MDR is that you have to justify or, or document your decision-making. And it basically means that you've justified how you've come up to the number 100, for example, for your clinical investigation. And the process of clarifying or justifying that can be done in multiple ways, but the most common way is to use statistical justification uh, along with uh, clinical assumptions that you have to make. So they might not necessarily be looking for the equations themselves because I don't believe the auditors necessarily have the knowledge for that, but they will be looking for the scientific reasonings and the statistical justifications that, that combine the, the justification that you need to determine your sample size. No, it's clear because, yeah, as you mentioned, there, there are, uh, it's really technical. Uh, I saw some, some of the equations that we need for calculation of a sample size, and there are a lot of parameters, and you have to calibrate yeah. those parameters to use them correctly and to define why you use them. Uh, use 10% yeah. instead of 20 or 15, etc. So this is really mm -hmm. uh, a lot of, uh, of techniques uh, related to yeah. that. Um, just to answer this question, but as it's really technique, uh, if I am a small company and I don't have this knowledge, is it, is it needed specifically to have a biostatistician? Or if I have somebody on my team that is really knowledgeable in statistics, is it sufficient? Or yeah, what, what is exactly the requirements for, or your opinion or your advice to the manufacturers that are, need to do this calculation? So in my, my opinion, you need to have the, if you're using statistical methods to justify your sample size calculation, you need to have some kind of a statistical knowledge, of course, on how to use it. Um, this does not mean that you have to have a biased decision in-house or you have to hire a biased decision necessarily. If you have the necessary background, for example, if you did some kind of biased statistics in, in other past roles or maybe during your education, uh, that might be enough to, to you being able to justify your uh, sample size. That's perfectly fine. But most clinical teams, they don't have the time <laughs> okay. to spend uh, on the justification. So they maybe instead hire uh, an external biostatistician or maybe have an internal statistician in-house that maybe works within other departments or um, 
that can assist with the role of or the the job of calculate the sample size. No, I think so it's, it's easy. I don't think there's a one way to do it, but like you said, many of the equations can be quite complex. Um, and if you have a very complex device and you have complex um, combination of study endpoints, uh, this can be quite easily become very uh, a high level. And this can take a couple of you know days for a normal biostatistician to work out on. So if you don't have that time, uh, most preferably you would want to outsource that somehow. Yeah, um, so from my side, uh, so I'm a consultant and I'm working with some uh, companies. Uh, and as, as, as soon as we arrive to this question of the sample size, they are thinking that I'm not knowledge, knowledgeable enough to do that. Yeah. And I'm always saying, yes, I ha I'm a biomedical engineer. I have made some statistics, but knowing the formula is not enough. What are no. the other factors that I should consider uh, when I'm trying to do this sample sizing? That's a very good question because it also relates a little bit to the fact that you cannot hire a consultant just to do everything for you. Uh, when it comes to sample size calculation, the, just the statistical justification, the statistical part of the whole thing, which a biostatistician or a statistician in general is very good at, is not enough. You have to take into the clinical factors and the clinical assumptions as well. And the only people that can deliver those assumptions are the medical device manufacturer and the usually the key opinion leaders of that company. So for example, if you're uh, trying to justify your sample size and you write something like the sample size calculation was done at an alpha of 5% and power of 80% and we found out that we needed 100 subjects, it's not enough because it only um, takes into account some of the statistical justifications that you made, uh, assumptions that you made. But what many fail to realize is that the combination of statistical and clinical assumptions determine, that determines the sample size applicability. So if you leave out either of the two, you're only, you're only providing partial justification. So if you, if you monitor was supposed to assist somebody on calculating the sample size, yeah, you could maybe find the appropriate equation for the study or the test, the biostatistics that they want to do on the results. But when it comes to the fact of determining some of the inputs that are required, like what is the minimum clinical effect that would like to illustrate? You maybe don't have a clue because you don't have the clinical knowledge and the background to do so. No, I think it's it's exactly that, and uh, and I'm, as I've said, I'm always struggling to explain to that to my to my customers to say uh, I, I I am knowledgeable in statistics, but I have no clue about the performance of your products. I have no clue if it's fifty percent or twenty percent. It's you yeah. who tell me, and then maybe we can work together. I think it's really a teamwork with the, with the manufacturer also to to understand yeah. that and to help them really to go on the right direction to. Get the same result because when you are making the those sample sizing, you are also using that to make a comparison between maybe products that are already on the market to see if yeah. you are equivalent to them or if you are uh, superior to them, etc. So you have really to have those knowledge to uh, to be able to be efficient. Yeah, and I mean, one of my good friends, a biostatistician, he told me the other day that. When, I, when a medical device company approaches me and asks me to calculate a sample size, the first thing I'd ask them is, what kind of study are you conducting? Uh, because that's one of the factors that determines how you calculate sample size. And then there are like five other basic inputs that you have to determine. And 
if you as a manufacturer have not decided or determined these inputs, your bias decision won't be able to help you. So in order to know which of these inputs you need to determine before you approach the bias decision and what other factors you need to take into account, you need to understand the process. You need to understand the whole concept of sample size. And this, this is where I think most medical device companies are left a little bit vary. They, they don't know, they fall hands. They don't know what to do, which is why this topic is, is so, such a, so important. No, I think it's it's clear, and I hope with with the, this episode they will really understand how to do that and why what what they should consider when they are doing that. So um, maybe a question for you. So um, yeah, maybe the answer is no, but is there any tool that people can use, some or people can buy, or like um, an Excel Excel tool or something that can people buy and just put some numbers yeah. there and the result? Or so there are. Of course, the most the most common the most common statistical tests that are made in clinical studies are uh, are available within the most common statistical uh, tools or programs that people use. And these tools they offer you the possibility of calculating sample size using these tests because the way you calculate sample size is you use the statistic statistical test and then change the equation to calculate your sample size from it. So yes, there are a lot of tools, but if you if you give a baby and a knife and a fork and they don't know how to use it, you're not going to be able to, they're not going to be able to eat their food. It's the same same way with a tool like that. If you, if you deliver a tool like that to somebody, they won't be able to calculate the sample size without knowing how to move around and how to pick up the vegetables and choose what attributes they would like to include. So it's it's more towards the fact again that people need to understand the process and learn the process before they're able to l- use the tools for it because the tools are basically just allowing you to pick in the numbers and then they do the calculation instead of you having to use a calculator for it okay so i think it's it's i think we have really here a lot of the the hints or the the the, the tips that people have to do but if I am a company that is now starting a study or a PMCF or anything, so what do you recommend me to do? Where should I start? What should I do first? So, of, of course, you should share this podcast with everybody that you know, <laughs> so you get a little bit of insight into it. Uh, secondly, I recommend that they probably get a hold of our uh, latest ebook, which we'll mention a little bit later. But in principle, it all relates back to the fact that they need to start by looking into how does the process of sample size calculation work? You need to understand that process before you start going on to calculating your sample size. And the process for sample size calculation is actually uh, not that complex. If it's broken down into a couple of segments, there are a couple of uh, decisions that you have to make as a manufacturer when you're designing your study. This comes down to the fact that what you're testing Uh, or what you're learning if you're doing a clinical study or just a feasibility study. Uh, What kind of design are you going to be implementing? Are you going to be showing inferiority or superiority or equivalence? So all of these design attributes you have to make, and then you have to understand what are the statistical and clinical assumptions that I have to define. And then you can go about looking into how you want to calculate it. So to do right now, if you're about to initiate or start by designing your first PMCF plan 
or a clinical investigation plan for a new study for a device. Start by trying to understand the process. And, and apart from the fact that we've just released the ebook that, that, that clarifies some of it and we're recording this podcast now that hopefully will help someone, uh, there are multiple uh, articles and um, content available online that allows people to understand a little bit better. No, I think it's clear. And um, I had the chance to download this ebook. Uh, I read it completely. <laughs> I can't remember how many pages, but I read it completely. Uh, and it's really a, a great summary, a great, great tool. Uh, I really recommend it. I will put that on the show notes uh, so that people can download it. Uh, but great. if you read this ebook, uh, you get most of what we talked today. You get also some examples of formulas. I can't remember if there is three or five or yeah, there are five cases. five very basic examples. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very basic, but it's enough. I think as as I'm calling uh, this uh, my my company, easy medical device. I like when it's easy. I understand yeah. clearly, so there is no need of yeah. uh, uh, being a, a biostatistician to really understand that. But yeah, yeah, and and there is at the end a checklist to say uh, how uh, how to I mean what you define today. So uh, what should people start to do? Uh, is it for investigation? Investigational study, or is it for a pilot, etc.? Mm -hmm. And you are going through this checklist so that it can help you also to uh, to define yeah. uh, how to do your study. Yeah, um, exactly. So um, just now, so I think now, yeah, people really understand what is sample size and how they should do that. And as as we said, they should be really careful to not take into account only the statistical part of the sample size, but also uh, the clinical part of the products, how the product should uh, should behave and what are the performance. Uh, that it should, yeah. it should achieve. Um, so now you as a smart trail, so what are you doing exactly? What is your company doing and how they, it can help the medical device community? Yeah, well, that's a very good question. Um, <laughs> so we at smart trail, we've, we feel that every meta company should be able to collect high quality clinical data. So no matter the size of the budget, uh, and it's our mission to make it easy and cost effective to collect clinical data in compliance with the regulations. So one of the ways that we do this to create software and services like SmartTrial, which simplify the whole data collection process. And SmartTrial uh, is our leading product and it's a do-it-yourself electronic data capture for clinical investigations and PMCF activities, such as surveys and, and registries. And a big part of our services is directed towards content generation and knowledge sharing within the medtech industry. Which is why one of our latest publications on the medical device samples as cookbook it was curated to help clinical teams to better understand the process behind sample size calculation uh, in the hope that it will make it easier to comply with the requirements set forth by the MTR, but also by other regulatory bodies like the FDA and so forth. So, yeah, I suggest that everybody take a look at it, download it from our website or from the link that you will provide with the podcast. Yeah, I, I will put that on the show. So if I understand well, you have your application or software or, or platform that is connecting, if I can say, uh, the hospitals with the data, I mean, collecting the data from hospitals or from anywhere, and then you are processing them or you are just storing them? So med we have medical device companies are using Smart12 as a data collection tool for their studies. So uh, they're implementing it in sites that are working with their devices where they have physicians entering data directly into Smart12 during the course of a clinical study or a PMCF activity of some sort. So the data uh, can be directly entered into Smart12 on a tablet or a computer on site, and then the data is 
is kept securely in at the smart control system and accessible by the sponsor if needed, which can then export the data for further analysis and then reporting for MDR purposes, for example. So before, before smart trial, how people were doing that? <laughs> so the medtech industry has actually been quite uh, far behind when you compare it to other industries. Uh, pharmaceutical companies have been using uh, software like smart trial for years, but most meta companies have actually been using paper and Excel. Okay. Because I remember that only when I received some, uh, some of the data that I had to use to create the PMCA for the, the clinical evaluation report or studies, et cetera. Yeah. I really received some papers filled by people and uh, I had to exactly. collect that and to, uh, to compile that, which is uh, painful. <laughs> so if yeah. you have a software like that, that can really collect everything and I have just maybe to apply some, uh, some uh, formula, formula or, or anything to make some my data calculation, uh, which, is, yeah. uh, which is great. Exactly. Okay, uh, so great. So thank you for that, Jon. So um, in terms of uh, the people that are listening, so yeah, as I've said, uh, I will put everything on the show notes. Uh, I will put also the details uh, of Jon and the smart trial on the show notes. So if you want to go and, and check that, uh, as I've said, really, this uh, ebook is really complete. I mean, complete for, pe for people that want really to understand what is a sample size. Uh, there are some formulas, so you can try to use them and see uh, if you arrive to the right numbers. Uh, but yeah, it's really, I think, an important topic. As we talked today, uh, don't uh, make it like it's uh, easy just by taking a formula and putting some numbers. You have really to have uh, understand, you have to understand the process and understand your products so that you can really reach the, the right objective. And then yeah. notified bodies will be happy for that. So I think it's, I think this is yeah. the, the most important thing is that at the end, when the notified body is reading your report, they are not having any question on saying, why did you choose 100 or 56 or this or that on, on your on your product? Exactly. Okay, uh, so uh, Jan, so where people can follow up with you? So I think LinkedIn is one of your platform. LinkedIn is probably one of the primarily uh, primary platforms for myself. Uh, so you're welcome to follow me if if you can find me there, Jon Bergstenson. Uh, I'm also fairly active in our LinkedIn group, which is the only community for clinical teams within the medtech industry. Okay. Uh, it's called Clinical Investigations and PMCF for Medical Devices. So I'd be happy to have you join us there as well. Uh, otherwise, I'm also a little bit active on uh, our blog. Uh, so, yeah. So I will put anywhere all the all the links so that people can fo can follow up with you and uh, uh, contact you maybe for to ask you question maybe to help them to understand the, the sample sizing uh, process. Okay, happy to at least to to, uh, to to guide them into the right direction. No problem. So thank you for that. Okay, so thank you, Jan, for for your help, and I think really this was a really helpful topic uh, for for the people. Uh, for the thank people that are listening, me. so don't forget also to uh, to uh, share that with uh, people that are really understand are uh, trying to understand what are what is sample size. Uh, also to people that want to learn more about medical device regulation, medical device standards, so how to apply them. I'm really trying to uh, to educate people about about that. And uh, if you are looking at that uh, through YouTube, don't forget to like and comment and provide me also uh, your questions if you have any questions. I will transfer them to Yon if there is anything that I cannot answer by myself. Okay, sure. so thank you, Yon, and I wish you a nice day. Thanks for having me, Mori. Have a good day as well. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. So if you like this episode, please provide a review on the platform where you are listening to it. And also don't forget to share it with your colleagues. Thank you very much. 